On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. This podcast is brought to you by DrunkMummySoberMummy.com and made in association with HelloSundayMorning.org, changing the world's relationship with alcohol one Sunday at a time. Oh, the kettle's boiled. Great. Perfect timing. Should we get started then? I'm Victoria Vanstone. I'm Lucy Good. And this is Sober Awkward. Right, Lucy, over to you. Thanks, Vic. So whatever stage you're at on your sober journey, and Vic and I are at completely different stages, you'll know that life without booze can at times feel, what do you reckon? Awkward. Lucy and I invite you to listen to our podcast where we discuss the realities of sobriety, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the cringingly embarrassing. Our honest and open chats will help you discover what it really means to be sober. Yes, we're here like a dodgy bottle of port from your nan's drink cabinet to take the edge off sobriety. And together we can learn how to feel the awkward and do it anyway. I don't know what he's saying, Lucy. He's just mumbling. I don't know. I can't hear him, I think. I can't hear him. Oh, wait. He's given us a thumbs up. Right. So we can go. It's recording. Okay. Yeah, we're, we're, hello, everybody. We are in the booth. The troll <laughs> has transferred his booth over to us minions. <laughs> well, more than that, Vic, he's built a booth for us to record from. Yeah, we're going to send a photo out on Instagram of us in the booth later on. It's a, a small recording booth that me and Lucy are now trapped in. It's a bit like the TARDIS, isn't it, Lucy? Yeah, it is. Or like one of those toilets on the side of the road. Oh, yeah, it's a bit more like one of those. (laughs) He has put some snazzy lights up, some disco lights, so we're feeling quite disco It's definitely better than being in that room with the piss-stained mattress. We're feeling very posh, actually. It is quite posh, And the best bit is, he's not in here with us. He can't fit in. Only two people can fit in here. He can just do signs. There's a little window in it, so we can see him, so he's just doing signs through the window. It's quite funny. We have no idea what he's talking about no. he's getting quite frantic <laughs> he keeps moving the mic around and we don't really know why but anyway we just smile at the troll and hope that he gets on his way <laughs> should we give alan a thank you yes for thank you thank you alan we love our booth very kind of you yes feel very posh in our booth the troll has given us a booth how lucky we are yeah but yes welcome back listeners this yes. is episode number 10 number 10 number yeah. 10 it's actually the last one of series one Oh, is it? Yes, so we're saying, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thanks for letting me know. Yes, I just thought I'd let you know. Yes, because the next um, series, we're going to start having some guests on. And we're really excited. We've got some amazing people booked in already. We've got William Porter, who wrote um, Alcohol Explained. We've got Sober Dave coming on. We've got Jean McCarthy from The Bubble Hour. Goodness knows how we're going to manage to allow them a chance to speak while we're talking as well. I'm a little bit worried because we can barely get a word in edgeways when it's just the two of us. But I'm sure we'll we'll work it out. Um, but I have got an announcement to make. <laughs> 11 months sober. Today? No. 
couple oh. of days ago. Gosh, Lucy, that's amazing. I cannot believe that has come round so quickly. Well, it's obviously feels like a <laughs> lifetime for you, but for me, it's gone like in a day. Well, and I mean, 11 months is not one of those great milestones because it's a 12 months but it's like oh my god I'm on that yeah, you're final on the, 12 month yeah. uh, about to, I'm about to reach something that I never thought I would before and you know my overriding emotion just in case you wanted to know yes I do want to know is one of thinking I am so glad that I've made this to be a lifestyle choice where I'm going to try never to drink again than just a year because if it was going to be a year my head would already be starting to fill up with how am I going to go ab- about drinking again? And the dread how, would yeah, come back. The dread, how mm. am I going to moderate? The anxiety would already be back knowing that I'm going to be back on that alcohol wheel again. Mm. So instead of thinking, you know, doing it for a year and thinking, God, I really am looking forward to having a drink. I think I would rather be more dreading it yes. than anything. Because it's just been, when you give up altogether, it's just easier so much easier than moderating yeah um so yeah i and and my the reason i thought i'd mention it because obviously i'm going to make a big thing about it when it becomes 12 months but big song and dance it's because i don't know how to celebrate the 12 months and i feel it's almost more important than my birthday that's how much it means to me mm-hmm. so anyway of course i'm going to be dragging vic along yep, to I'm my celebrations to and yep. we've had a brief chat about what we might do and haven't come up with any solid ideas so i thought I'd put it out there to the listeners oh good idea so if anyone has reached um, an important milestone in their drinking and celebrated in a certain way love to know how you did it or if you're already thinking, when I get to this much sober, this is my plan, this is what I'm going to do, tell us about it. Email us at uh, vic at drunkmummysobermummy.com um, and let us know because um, it's really important that we treat ourselves when we reach these milestones. Yeah. And um, I shall certainly be doing that. Not quite sure how. I can't actually remember what I did for mine. I think I went out for the day. I think I had a really nice day out. I think I went for a massage. I just did loads of sort of self-pampering. I think yes. my husband, I dragged him along with me. But I remember it was huge for me. You don't, mm. you know, it is a huge day. It does feel bigger than the birthday because it's such a monumental change, isn't it? So mm. you feel really proud of yourself and it does deserve celebration. Yeah, And you but just yeah. feel so bloody good in yourself yeah. as a person as well. I was just thinking when you were talking about your 12 months, like imagine going back to drinking like you say, what would be the purpose? I mean, what would be the purpose for you now? What would be one reason that you would go back to alcohol? I know the answer straight away. It would be that. 15 to 20 minute high that you get after your first drink. Yeah. And that's it. That's it. That's, so that's the only thing I miss. Yeah. That that's that sort of moment of euphoria where you suddenly feel relaxed and feel like you're having a good time. Mm-hmm. But we both know that that is a total myth. Yes. And it's so short lived. What is the point of it's doing so it? It's short-lived. all downhill from there for yeah. me. And there's no such thing as moderation. I yeah. absolutely know that. Yeah. Part of this sobriety journey has taught me that as I've understood the scientific things around moderation, which we'll talk to William Porter more about. Um, and just the reality of who I am as a person and what I am and what I'm not capable of. Yeah. I'm not capable of drinking sensibly. No. I know that for a fact. I've got complete clarity in my world. So why on earth would I go back to it? And you look happier. Like your face mm. is just happier. Yeah. You just we went out for dinner last week and just Lucy was just telling me how much more content she is and you can see it in her eyeballs. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were talking to John about it, weren't you? Yeah, what I was we... talking to my husband. I just said, it's just so nice to see someone just blossom and grow and just look so much happier mm. and feel so much happier within themselves. It it shows in every pore of you. I yeah. really 
believe Especially that. in this booth where yes, my so you are a bit are. close. <laughs> She's even closer than in the other studio. She's lit up by the disco lights. But um, yeah, tell us about you, Vic. What you've been up to? How's your week been? What have you got to tell us before we get? Yeah, no, in? no funny stories apart from uh, my son crawling out of his cot and then me finding him hanging upside down from a handle. <laughs> I don't think I can handle any no. more stories I know. about him. I know, I know. He's he's a climber, so. Yeah, I, I just heard the words "ouchie" and it, and he was hanging from like a doorknob. Oh, but he was fine. God. Yeah, he was fine. But yeah, he's a he's a climber. I don't know what to do about it. The other two weren't climbers, so I'm just not used to it. So we've had to take all the chairs down, all the cot sides mm. down. He's now in a single bed. It's all very stressful. Oh, but the main thing I wanted to talk about today, Lucy, actually, was not my brats, oh, <laughs> who I love very, very not. much, they are not. who make me feel very tired a lot, um, is that I actually did manage to drag Lucy out on that sober breakfast last weekend. And yes. I just wanted to give her a little round of applause because we I'm all know that Lucy one. finds it hard to do the sober social <laughs> thing. But after our podcast, she plucked up the courage to go and have breakfast with our little sober social group, which is the Drunk Mummy Sober Mummy Social Group on Meetup. It's just just in my area. So, yeah, if anyone lives on the Sunshine Coast, have a look at that. But, yeah, Lucy came and yeah. you had a good time, didn't you, Lucy? I did. It was early in the morning. It was half past eight, so I had to put myself in training for it all week and started getting up a little bit earlier. So by the time that day came, I was up at six to meditate, get ready. And, um, yeah, I did. It was great to be out at that time. And um, I felt good all day after I had been there Um, and also I think what I felt most of all about that event was um, because I'm not struggling really with my drinking at this stage especially with that 12 month month mark coming up I'm completely motivated but it was really nice to be there to help some other people who um, who are struggling and questioning Um, so I I sort of spent the rest of the day thinking I've done something good yeah you've been inspiring to other people and that's really important so thank you for making me come along yes I'm going to force you into it much more often yes and it's not just against your will just to note it's not just the the sober socials it's any social yes any social I don't want it to make it sound as if I just don't like the sober ones because they're good the sober ones and Lucy felt the fear and did it anyway and it was all right, wasn't Mm. it and there was really nice porridge there which yes there is, is always bonus. we always do like a bit of porridge we do I Posh got porridge. there and Vic just ran up to me in excitement I thought she was just really excited to see me but she said they've got porridge <laughs> oh it's a sad state of affairs isn't it dear oh dear so yes this is what our lives are like now <laughs> we get excited about porridge there is no risk in our lives I think we can that's very clear, but isn't it? Your son seems to. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's a risky yeah. one. Because <laughs> that's our topic today, everybody. We're talking about risk, episode 10. Mm. Yeah, how being under the influence put us in danger. Yeah, let's go. So uh, we're going to discuss all the crazy times we put ourselves in the line of fire, mentally and physically. We'll question why we acted this way, why it took us both so long to recognise the red flags and how it feels now to have made it through with only a few battle scars. I know, Lucy, there have been many times over the years that I could have died. I made extremely poor decision when I was drunk. I put myself in situations that truly meant I was living on the edge. I cringe when I look back and think about all the crazy, careless capers. I wonder why on earth I put myself in jeopardy so often. Was it because I didn't care about myself? Or was it just the alcohol drowning out all my inhibitions? Or a bit of both? What I do know for sure is I wouldn't have done any of these antics sober. What about you, Lucy? Did you put yourself at risk when you were pissed? 
What do you think? Uh, yes. <laughs> I think I might have. Yeah, I'm not proud of it, but I most certainly did. And on a very regular basis, I shudder to think of some of the things I did often, well, mostly without knowing it and how they could have ended up so differently. I can honestly say, Vic, that I believe I am lucky to be alive today. The reason why we want to talk about our risky behaviours today is because we feel that telling our embarrassing tales of woe might help you identify these traits in yourself. We both have legendary drinking tales that we use to top up our repertoire of riotous rebellion. You like that one? <laughs> I love you? that. Love that. Like, nice choice of words. Repertoire of riotous. Try and say it fast. It doesn't work. <laughs> we thought these anecdotes added to our extrovert personas, but really, we were just pissed. <laughs> Giving our bodies and minds away for the sake of self and social approval. So if you're still drinking, we want to help you see that these risky escapades that are so often minimised over a Bloody Mary in the pub the following day are actually signs that you need to address your drinking habit. We want you to take heed of our mistakes before something awful happens to you. We don't want you to be another sad statistic. If you've already stopped, hopefully this chat will remind you of why you stopped and why you need to never start again. We're also going to cover how amazing it is not to have put ourselves at risk anymore and still be able to enjoy ourselves without playing a game of Russian roulette with our valuable lives. Yes, Vic. We also want to know that you, we well, we want you to know, and us, we are also worth more than this, um, that you matter and we matter and all of our lives are important. We both have huge regrets and have suffered terribly due to alcohol, but the truth is we didn't know that our behaviours were so out of control until we became sober. We both realise now that we'd forgotten that our lives counted or that we were worthy of happiness. Sobriety is not just about giving up alcohol. It's an act of self-love and self-care. So we hope today's podcast is going to get you looking within and recognising your worth. I wanted to talk about all these past fuck-ups because I think our brutally honest stories can help people feel less alone and feel less shame. Because shame is what keeps us drinking. Oh, and I also want to find that guy that gave me chlamydia in 1997, Lucy. Did that really happen? Mm. Let's move on to the next part. Do you think part. he might be listening? Let's move on to the next part of the podcast. <laughs> if, if you're listening, <laughs> Steve. The, uh, oh, so you knew his name. Well done. Of course I didn't know his name. <laughs> anyway, Vic's email address is vic at <laughs> drunkmummysobermummy.com. Yeah. But look, we are going to start our discussion today with a fact because Rick's done some research around why alcohol makes us feel invincible because after all it's that invincibility that gets us doing all these ridiculous things so tell us your fact well fact is Lucy it's all to do with GABA GABA is a major neurotransmitter in the brain which controls much of the anxiety we feel when our brain cells get overly excited GABA is released into the brain to calm these cells down when alcohol binds with these certain GABA receptors it affects the transmission from our brains in other words something that makes us nervous in a normal situation can be altered with alcohol thus giving us a sense of relaxation and a false mindset of security. So not only do we not have a stop button, but we don't have a nervous button either. Yeah. You know, that feeling where we should think, hold on, this is the wrong thing to do. So yeah. yet again, you know, there is a scientific reason why we do these things when we drink. Yeah, we shouldn't feel so bad about ourselves because that's naturally what's going to happen if you drink. So well, I'm glad you know, we said that yeah, because this is guilty. a really uncomfortable yeah. <laughs> podcast yeah. it is a for bit, me. We are going to talk about <laughs> things we're not proud of, which we do do a lot. But we don't mind. We don't mind because everybody's been there. <laughs> yeah, well, not, not everyone. Well, everybody's but... been here. <laughs> 
we are talking about promiscuity, of course. <laughs> yes, we are starting with probably we're diving in at the deep end here, yes, aren't we? Because yes. this is a really uncomfortable one for me and I'm sure it is for you as yeah. well. Well, I must but, say it was all before I got married, of course, and I was drunk. So I wasn't capable of making great decisions. Um, and I, when I travelled the world, I could sleep with someone one night and move on to another town the next day. I never had any repercussions to mm. sleeping with people, even if I didn't really like them that much, which probably I didn't because I'd met them in a bar in a blackout. But yeah, I did. I do have a history of being quite promiscuous when I was younger. Mm. Yeah. When you'd had a drink as yeah. well. And the drink made me feel invincible. So I didn't really consider my own safety when I was being led down dark alleys with strange men. Um, and also I was very easily... Um, talked into anything because I wanted people to like me. So if a guy showed an interest mm. in me, I was like, oh, well, he likes me. I'm going to show him I like him back by sleeping with him. I yes. mean, that was how my brain yeah. worked. It's taking people pleasing to a whole new level. Absolutely, Lucy. That is exactly what it is. I mean, I just wanted people to like me. And, and I thought, well, he's he's going to show me he accepts me and I'm a good person. I'm funny and everything. So I may as well sleep with him. I didn't really think about myself in those situations. It's almost as if if they want to sleep with you, you've managed to prove that you are this really cool, amazing person, which isn't right at all. They just sleep with you because you're an easy lay. But it was sort of like a short term buzz. It was like I would go out, I'd have a few beers and then my, you know, I would relax inside my brain and think, well, I'd become more free and more open and more easy. Exactly what you say. And then it was like, right, I want to kind of snare a man because that will fulfill some need within me, which was the need for love, I guess, Mm. deep down. And I think I always thought that those situations would lead to something. That was always my hope. I mean, women, we're very, you know, sensitive. And I think deep down sleeping around, it might seem quite brash and laddetty and all of these horrible things. But I think deep down, I felt like, I was going to get a boyfriend out of it. And And you were looking for love as well. I was looking for love, exactly. So it's sad, really. It is, yeah. yeah. I used to lie in bed the next day afterwards, you know, with the sheets up to my chin, feeling very sad for myself because they'd gone off with a... I was going to say, was he still in the bed at that stage? Normally he'd done a runner-by then. Yes. Yeah, (laughs) unfortunately. (laughs) The quick story I want to tell about uh, my promiscuity before I let Lucy tell me her awful ones was a, a perfect example of myself putting putting myself at risk was accepting a drink from a a dodgy guy that I'd never met before on a beach in Byron Bay in the early, I think it was the millennium year. And I remember thinking as I took the glass from him that I shouldn't have drunk it because I didn't know him and I just felt that he was dodgy. The reason I thought he was dodgy was because he had a tattoo of a cross on his forehead. <laughs> so, yeah, just you had a little just feeling he might have been dodgy. I don't know. Just I, thought, I just thought, oh, wow, cool, he's got a cross on his forehead. And I actually, she drank more. You, you just thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Well, no, I don't remember anything after that glass because I think it was Rohypno in there. Oh, yes. So oh goodness, that's, that's not yes, funny. No, it wasn't funny. So this is like my worst risk I've ever put mm. myself at. So I knew in the moment that I took the drink that I felt in danger, but I took the drink anyway. And the next thing, I don't remember anything, and I woke up the next day. But I had to say to my friends what on earth happened. And the guy had actually dragged me off up the beach on my own, and they found me. I, my friends luckily saw that I'd gone missing, and they found him on top of me trying to kiss me, and it was all very, very dodgy. And they pulled me out of that situation and carried me home in a fireman's lift 
back to the where we were staying, back to the backpackers. So luckily my friend stepped in. But if that situation had gone any further, I literally have no memory of it whatsoever. So mm. there, there's a perfect example of me just going into a situation, being brash and being, you know, I'm going to be the life and solve the party and taking drinks from anybody. I actually only had one drink, which was drugged, and that led to that situation. So, yeah. And, how, ter- and it just could have gone so wrong so could have been life-changing for me that situation and I think when things like that happen because I did have a similar situation I don't know if you remember the V festivals in in England Rick and I remember going to one of those and it was a I think it was a one or two night festival we were staying just for one night and I just drank so much and again I I wouldn't be surprised if there was Rohypnol involved because I just disappeared no one knew where I had gone for about 12 hours and I've got one memory of being in a tent with with just men right um and I don't remember just like almost like just one tiny flashback yeah they were just sitting there and I was sitting there and um then I eventually found my way back to my own friends and they had no idea where I'd been right I had no idea where I'd been I had no memory of it whatsoever now the horrificness of that Mm. is just huge and how I dealt with it is just by putting it out of my mind. How do you, what do you do? You dwell on that, it just kill you because yeah. you actually don't know what happened. Yes, you probably end up even drinking more because you'll just feel such shame. And so, I, you shouldn't feel shame mm. in those situations because that, you know, that it probably was drugs involved and it really isn't your fault. But like, it's the not knowing, is it? The whole mm. not knowing of those blackouts and those, those situations like that. I mean, a lot of people have experienced things like that, more people than you could ever imagine. Like, it's just the two of us sat in here. Yes. We have stories about these things that happen in our lives and we mm. are putting ourselves hugely at risk and things can happen. People take advantage of those situations. It's never our fault. We, you know, we are the victims in these situations. But, you know, if we, if I hadn't been drinking, I don't believe those things would have happened to me. No, that's right. And I think that when they do happen, we bury them so deep inside us because we're so ashamed of them. Mm. Um, and even now, after being sober for a while, looking back, I literally feel a bit physically sick when I think about the occasions yeah. and the situations that I've got myself into. And th- that blackout thing is just terrifying. It is terrifying. And the more you think of it once you're sober... Yeah, the more terrifying it is. You know, you are you have no idea what you're doing, but you are still functioning, doing something which is you're not even behaving in any way close to the person that you are when you're sober. No, um, you're just out there being a complete and utter dick. Yeah, um, and and you don't have any control over yourself, and people can do whatever they want with you. Horrifying. So frightening. I mean, yeah. that situation now, if that had happened to me now, that would be a police situation. Yes. I'd be like, this guy tried to do this. And, it, you know, I would have dealt with that very, very differently. But back then, I just carried on. I drank it away. And in fact, the next night I went out, Lucy, and I drank petrol. Oh, why was that? Well, there was nothing else left. So I picked up a petrol can and took a swig. And then I came through. <laughs> I can't believe I'm telling you this. I came to and I was thinking, God, this person's really nice that I was chatting to. I was like, oh, God, he's got a really interesting conversation. He really doesn't interrupt me. And then I realised I was talking to a rock. <laughs> <laughs> it was the best Did conversation. Did it have a cross I've... on its forehead? No, <laughs> no, but I actually had been talking to a rock for about half an hour. So you were, That's what you happens really, when you drink you, petrol, people. Don't yeah, do it. Don't, well, yes. Yeah. Oh, it was a good listener. <laughs> uh, crazy, how, I, I know. I wonder how long the conversation went on for. I don't know. I don't really know. It reminds just... me of Tom Hanks in Castaway <laughs> yeah, with, what's his name? Wilson. Wilson. <laughs> 
rocky. Did you take him off travelling with you? It was a massive rock. It was like one that you couldn't move. Yeah. I think I slept with him. I can't remember though. I was stoned. Sorry. Sorry. That is really good. Sorry. Oh, but yeah. But And they, they, there you have it, Vic. Though. You know, you had this terrifying um, event happen that you were so lucky to get out of yeah. in one piece, alive and yeah. or not raped or goodness knows what was yes. going to happen. But instead of facing facts and thinking, right, I need to sort myself out. I shouldn't be getting that drunk. I'm putting myself in dangerous situations. Yeah, never consider stopping drinking. Never, never. ever even crossed my mind in that moment to go, maybe I shouldn't have done this. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. I mean, I was 23 years old. Mm. I just wasn't, that was not on my radar Mm. at all. No, instead you go on and you drink some petrol and talk to a rock. You know, instead of sorting yourself out, you're you're probably so deeply ashamed and worried. Mm. You don't want to face what's happened. And alcohol numbs out everything. So you're really on this downhill spiral when you start sleeping around and getting yourself into this situation because you start to hate yourself more and more and so you do it more and more that is so true it's that i've i've written about that in my book i have a whole chapter on that it's called international sex which is when i realize now that i was repeating the same patterns and the patterns were making me feel worse about myself why do i do this why do they leave why can't i get a boyfriend so therefore my behavior got worse because i didn't care about myself Mm. Yeah, and also you're you're um, you're hating yourself more and more. So you need more love. You yes. need more affection. You need more attention. The love it's not cycle. the right kind of attention no, not by at all. any means. And it was always very disappointing. I mean, I remember kissing a guy and realizing he had wooden teeth once. Is when I know. That's <laughs> always like uh, the crazy stuff I could tell you right now. I think it's your turn to tell some of your awful stories. I oh, think, when I was sort of making notes about this section, I actually didn't put down any specific stories because you know I will I never did actually sleep <laughs> oh god it's disappointing <laughs> no I did I, my, my saving grace really Vic is that I had when I was 16 I went out with a guy for four years and really from that point on until when I got my uh, my marriage was over which was about eight years ago I've been in quite long relationships um and with good men yeah good um so that is when I look back I think god that's my saving grace that I could have been a lot worse but I will tell you in between those relationships I was terrible and I was um full you know I was massively lacking in confidence so much so that I've talked about how I couldn't walk into a room of people without having drunk sort of a bottle of whiskey um, even when I was 16 15 16 and I would do anything to lose my inhibitions and I think the problem is is there is no sort of stopping point is there where you lose your inhibitions you can't say okay I've lost enough of my inhibitions now to be where (laughs) I want to be and now I'm going to stop when you start losing your inhibitions a whole lot go and once you lost and then you start behaving um, terribly you know I didn't like myself um, as a person and I didn't like myself sober I felt I was open and more flirty uh, when I had a drink so what you're saying there very quickly is that your risky behaviors led you to feel certain ways which is really interesting because we're saying oh it was risky in the moment but it's also risky for following moments, yes, like the repercussions is. of those risks make you take more risks, in fact. They do. Well, yeah. it's the same as simply drinking. The more you drink, the more you want to drink. It's yeah. just you just hate yourself for your behaviour. And yes, when it becomes to um, that kind of slutty, sex, sexy behaviour, then that's the way you, 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 you deal with your hate for yourself by just carrying on mm. doing it. Yep. Um, and, and, you know, that's what I was doing. And unfortunately... 
I, I thought that the attention that I was getting from guys is because they thought I was cool and nice and sexy. But it's in fact because I was behaving like a slut and I was an easy lay. <laughs> Oh, it's awful. And I think, I I mean, I think I knew that, but I was so desperate for the attention. I think that's the theme, isn't it? We're even just coming to terms, talking about it to each other now. Yeah. That desperation for attention because we weren't particularly happy with the people that we were and however we were going to get that. And, um, with, with a guy, it, it was generally like the, the 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 most important attention you could get was sex. If they wanted to have sex with you, it yeah. meant that you were okay. It was like confirmation, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah. And I was, I wasn't naturally sexy. You know, I was always a tomboy. You know, I was in my DMs and my jeans, and mm. I never wore sort of sexy, revealing clothes or anything yeah, like that. I'm the same. And, yeah, I don't think I'm naturally like a really sexual person no yeah. no and I but, but, but I when was I was right, yeah <laughs> when I had a joke you know a Gross. drink you know I'd be I doing know. the dance around the bedroom you know yes. feeling really 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 cool but obviously probably looking absolutely awful but the shame after that even knowing that that is not who you are then the next day I'd feel so embarrassed about oh my yes antics yeah just, oh my god what was I doing yeah and you know oh. and if, if the relate if, if this if this guy that you've slept with and you've sort of been really wild in the bedroom with even if it carries on for a bit longer they kind of expect <laughs> You can perform the same way again, and you're like, they probably no. think, God, I'm onto a right winner here. <laughs> I mean, you can't actually remember what you did, but you, you kind of know you did a few classic moves in the bedroom. <laughs> I was going to ask you what your classic moves are then, but I don't think I need to know. Uh, well, I never remembered any of them. <laughs> and Awful. I don't think they were that good because no one really wanted to see him again. <laughs> I just couldn't face it. That's why I would always go on and find someone else. Yeah. Um, and also, I can remember going out and... Um, wanting, you know, sometimes going out with your mates, you know, you all go out, you think, oh, we're going to pull tonight. Um, which is fine to do that. It's fine to go out and think, I'm going to want to meet someone and, yeah. you know, whatever. But, you know, you have to do it whilst you're in control of your faculties. Of course, I never was. And if I couldn't pull, I'd just drink more. And then my standard in men mm. would just drop and drop and drop the more I drank until I got to the point where I honestly, anyone would do. Yeah. Really, anyone. Yeah. Somebody who I might know, you know, someone I work with who I have absolutely no interest in mm. would suddenly appear really sexy. What, why? I mean, that's big goggles, isn't it? How, yeah. what, I wonder what the scientific thing Yes, we have to ask William Porter. We've got so many questions for him. I mean, why do we do that to ourselves? Oh, it's yeah. like the standards get so low. Why, can we not talk about it anymore? Yeah, can we move on to the really next one? Because I'm really glad we got that. Yeah. Uh, thanks so for that, that is at the promiscuity, beginning. everybody. Promiscuity, you put yourself at risk from all sorts of reasons, but you put yourself in danger in those situations. And they're things that we probably wouldn't do when we're sober. So the next thing we want to talk about is the drunken injuries. This is another way we put ourselves at risk. Up to 15 people die and more than 430 people are admitted in hospital every day in Australia due to alcohol-related illnesses and accidents. I mean, that's huge. Imagine all the resources being used for people being drunk and falling over and getting in fights and all those things. That's huge resources being used that could be used for people like an old person that's fallen over, you know, it's, I feel so guilty about that. We've spoken about that before. I feel guilty about taking up the time yeah. of the ambulance people and the paramedics and everything when I was doing stupid things. And you get a really, you do get a very frosty service in the hospital, yes, don't you, do. you? If you go in and you've been drinking or you've yeah. taken anything and, yeah. and had an injury and you're wasting their time. They're so obviously pissed off with you. Yeah. Um, and rightly so. But we wanted to go through, we have got so many examples of drunken injuries. We had to just 
sort of filter them down to some of our favourites. Yeah. <laughs> some of our classic some moves, the- <laughs> our other classic moves that ended up in injury. So we're going to alternate, won't we, how we say them. Yeah, so my very first one was a black eye, but I don't know why, but I woke up with a loaf of bread in my bed because I was holding it as ice. I'd got a loaf of bread <laughs> out of the fridge, freezer and to, to make the swelling go down, I, all I just knew was that I'd woken up with with a loaf of bread in my bed. What's yours, Lucy? <laughs> that is just so I know, good. weird. That, the, the bread's way better than the black eye. Yeah. I was going to match your black eye with my black eye oh, a couple yes. of months before I actually got sober. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving. At your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Went out with a friend, left the kids at home. Well, she'd come around for dinner, so it was meant to be quite a civilised evening. Oh, those those are the best. Yeah, (laughs) decided to go out about midnight. There's one bar open um, and went and got completely drunk with a couple of guys in there. Came out, sitting outside on a wall and just sort of did a Humpty Dumpty fall um, face down (laughs) into the concrete and just caught the edge of my eye on a sort of a concrete flower bed border. Lovely. Um, Yeah, could have blinded myself or something like that but stylish yeah very stylish had a massive shiner and my poor daughter when I got in with that black eye she was understandably devastated yeah Yeah, and I had to live with that for you know good 10 days to two weeks yeah the shame of it the shame and my stump of course is my classic one blew off my finger the firework Lucy fell backwards off a moped nice um, I used to have a swan dive cut on my chin every Saturday morning because I would attempt to swan dive in a hip-hop nightclub in Brighton and cut my chin every week. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't think to stop drinking. No, 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 of course not. I'll carry on with the nightclub theme there because I. Uh, this is actually my friend. Went to a nightclub um, on my 14th birthday with uh, my friend and was so drunk dancing on the dance floor that I tripped over, fell over on top of her and broke her arm. Oh, yes. That's the other thing. You're risking other people's lives, not well, that's just your right. own. But she was so drunk that we carried on until about 8 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Uh, so it was about six hours later that she suddenly thought, oh, my arm hurts. Oh, gosh, yeah. Just completely had to wait for the alcohol to sort of burn yeah. off her skin yeah. and then... The pain starts. The pain starts coming. Like, oh, I think I've done something to my arm. Yeah. Well, that's what that actually leads on to mine because I was always dancing with no shoes on and Ooh, used to get glass cuts. Yes. But then I'd wake up the next day with kind of like disco dirt all up my shins and like lacerated feet. <laughs> I said, oh, yeah, look, I tried on glass last night. Ha, ha, ha. Still didn't stop drinking. Still didn't stop dancing. <laughs> Oh, you still dance now, yeah. don't you? Um, yeah, cigarette in my mouth the wrong way round, took a drag on it, burnt my lips. I bet a few people are nodding, going, yeah, yeah done that. Um, there was one, um, oh, this is a classic one. I ended up underwater, don't know how, was in a blackout. All I remember was falling in a fountain and then being underwater and opening my eyes and looking at a fish. <laughs> are you sure there was actually a fish? There was there, a fish. Were you? I was in a fountain and there was a fish in there and I was, just popped out of a blackout looking at a fish and I sort of hurt my ankles. I, I lucky fell in. you didn't drown, really. No, I think it actually sobered me up. So 
Oh, yeah. yeah. Nothing like some cold water to sober one up. Um, yes, I was doing a knot back. And, um, you know, sometimes you sort of do it and then you hold on to the glass in between your teeth. And I bit it really hard, yeah. bit into the glass and cut my lip. Oh. My poor old lips took a battery. Oh, they were, that was like the Sambuca burn as yes. well, wasn't it? That's yeah. like another classic yeah. drinking injury was that burn, that circular yeah. burn in the centre of your palm where you've put a flaming sambuca onto yeah, your Yeah, if hand. you were to inspect people's bodies closely, you could probably see the, the classic signs of a drink. <laughs> yeah, it's them, not just by the red nose. <laughs> yeah. Um, once I was at a party, I had a birthday party, I was a bit off my head, and I put a cigarette in a... Well, I didn't know I'd done it, but I put a cigarette in my top pocket, lit, and did my <laughs> coat up, and it wasn't until there was smoke bellowing out of the top of my <laughs> lapel, and I was walking around this house going, there's a fire, there's a fire somewhere. <laughs> everyone and everyone was like what are you talking about and then I opened up the top of my coat and smoke billowed out and my inside of my coat was on fire and I had to like unzip it and then stamp it down in the kitchen so that must have been hilarious nearly burnt yourself alive really I laughed at that but actually I nearly burnt myself alive you did I mean, and if you hadn't, mental. if you hadn't have killed yourself, you'd be lying in hospital with, uh, yeah. you know, terrible burns or something. God, it's, it's not, it's not in some of the time, isn't it? It's a bit funny. No, it's not funny. Um, yeah, I once, yeah, I got run over. Uh, a car came along, ran me over. I rolled over the bonnet and landed on all fours on the other side. <laughs> like a cat (laughs) and he went to get out to say you know to see what had happened I'd walked out in front of the car I might add so he was pissed off and I just said oh just fuck off and walked off (laughs) (laughs) what the hell is that all about (laughs) oh my god it was like the next morning oh my god I got run over last (laughs) night I'd have grazes my knees and bruises oh it's not funny but it's funny um one of my favourite drinking injuries was when I'd been drinking after work. It was like five o'clock in the afternoon. I was living in Sydney at the time and I was drunk and everybody else was going home from work. So I was absolutely wasted where people would just finish their day and were getting the train. And I got on the top of the central reservation thing where the escalators oh. go down at Central Station, which is a massive escalator. Mm. Oh, God. And I shot <laughs> You know, I went on the side and I shot down this thing. And there's bits that stick up. There's bits that stick up. So I just bounced over those (gasps) and I had the wind blowing in my hair as as the speed picked up as I shot down this thing. And I shot off the end at about, I don't know, 100 miles an hour with all the commuters waiting for their train home. And I landed (laughs) on my shoulder, on my collarbone. I actually broke my collarbone. And then I got on a train and fell asleep and ended hours out of Sydney. Oh, And woke up on my own. I didn't know where I was and I had to get a taxi, try and find a taxi to get home. But what would all those commuters... <laughs> I don't know. Why you shot through the middle of them and all? I, just, like, I don't know what I was doing. I just got on a train and fell asleep. Oh, no I used one to do that all anything. the time in England, fall asleep oh, on trains. Awful. And then you realise that you had a sore shoulder. Yeah, and then, then I had to go to hospital and I had a broken no collarbone. No wonder you broke your But it was the same hospital that. I'd been to with my stumpy finger after mm. I got back from Thailand. And they were like, oh, hi, Victoria. Oh, God. <laughs> I was like, oh, hi, me again. Other arm. They weren't pissed off with you? <laughs> they were a bit pissed off with me. Um, what, um, ah, yes, I had a, an incident. Yes, oh, yes. <laughs> can, I just, can I just say earlier, I was reading up through, our, me and Lucy do a little bit of a script and we don't read each other out what, what we're going to say because we want to sort of surprise each other live on the podcast. And I just read through this script here and I just saw at the end, Lucy's written shooting incident. <laughs> Oh, tell, come yeah. on, do tell. I, um, yeah, went out on in England when I um. Well, yeah, I don't want to give away too 
much information in terms of names or anything. But yes, I was in a couple and I went out with another couple for a very uh, civilised Sunday roast in a pub where we got very drunk, came home. And um, my partner at the time was walking through the garden and one of the friends we were with accidentally shot him in the back. Oh my God. What with? <laughs> right that, with a rifle, a shooting rifle. Oh, and no. um, the bullet went um, right down his, um, into his back and right down by his spine. God, and yeah, died. so we had to call the ambulance. Yeah. And we had to tell them because any gun injury, they call the police. The police right. came. We had to say it was a ricochet bullet. So, which means that we said he was aiming at the tree, shooting yeah. apples, and it shot off the tree and went into his back. And the surgeon who took it out said to him, just to let you know, that wasn't a ricochet. So, you might want to talk to your mate about that. Of course, we all knew it wasn't a ricochet. He was just trying to be funny. Right. And he shot him in the back. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, yeah, that was, uh, yeah. And funnily enough, actually just one more because we were talking to Alan before we started recording tonight who's telling us that he's going on holiday up to Cairns and I was telling him that I went up there a couple of years ago I went with my ex-husband and my kids and we got quite drunk one day my ex-husband and I we booked a skydive so I suppose that's quite a risky thing to do it's risky to do when you're drunk it's even riskier to do if you'd been drunk I'm surprised they even took the booking yeah yeah, drunk and booked to skydive. I bet they get a lot of calls, <laughs> don't they, <laughs> on a Friday night. We're coming tomorrow yeah. morning. It's really, it's going to be a really good idea. Yeah. What a great thing to Imagine do. Imagine being hungover yeah. and doing so a stand-up that's quite skydive. Risky, yeah. So, but to make ourselves feel better, you actually did a really cool thing and you asked people, didn't you, Vic, to see whether they had some stories yes, you I did read little, out. I did a little Instagram post to see if any of our listeners had, uh, had any risky stories to tell. My favourite was Leah. Um, she used to go out and lay down on the Princess Highway when she was drunk, which is a huge highway here in Australia. Which I know, I remember lying on highways. Mm, I, don't know, I do, yeah. yeah do, crossing roads yeah. like a crazy maniac, walking down railway lines, walking through down, tunnels, yeah, yeah. Or climbing on roofs, yeah. things like that. Yeah, so those sort of dangerous things are really risky. Um, she also said, obviously, she had unprotected sex with random men, which a lot of us have done. Um, hopefully, it wasn't lying on the highway. <laughs> Because that really would be risky, Leah, so don't do that again. Um, Others have said things like walking home alone, sleeping in weird places, thumbing lifts with weird people. A lot said swimming in the ocean when drunk. That is super risky. I've done that loads. I swam to an island once in the middle of the night. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, that worries me. Yeah, Yeah. a lot of people pass away doing that. Mm. That's quite a common theme, Mm. isn't it? Especially in Thailand and stuff. People go surfing. I think it's really cool to go night surfing, yeah. Yeah, so... One woman, Ali, wrote to me and said that she once went on the missing persons list. And she oh, didn't no, know where Ali. she was on and she didn't know where she was no, and no one else. She was did. actually declared missing by the police and everyone, her whole family thought she was dead, but she was just out somewhere. Do like, we know where she was? No, she didn't tell us where she was. Ali, let's know out. where you were. Yeah, where were you? Where, where were you when you were officially if you, missing? Yeah, if you know. Yeah. Um, one lovely lady who was out, she emailed me to say that she every time she was drinking, she thought she could fly. Yeah, and so she, once she got to, she was in a nightclub and she was standing at the top of some stairs and launched herself off the top of the stairs. Um, she didn't break anything, but she landed on some glass and she had bits of fragments of glass in her bum cheeks. Oh, God. Yeah. God. <laughs> I feel better now. Yeah. I know. <laughs> we see? love hearing stories from our listeners. Yeah. Oh, I have to say thank you to Seven Seas Teas as well for sending me mm. and Lucy the lovely teas this week. Angie, thank you for that. 
Yeah, I'm, I'd just say thank you as well because I'm getting my kitchen done so I haven't got very much um, apparatus available for making my tea at the yes, moment. Yes, and they sent us these really cool little strainers that yeah. you clip into your mugs as well. So thank you very much for that, Seven Seas. We really appreciate that because we love our tea. We do love a tea. Okay, well, let's. we're moving on to something a bit more serious in terms of risk, which is... Yeah, so we've done um, like a physical risk. We've done promiscuity, which is, I suppose, our sexual risk. And now we're moving on to mental risk. Mm. Shall I start? Start because I'm probably the one who got into the worst way with that, yeah. really, aren't I? Yeah. I've just butted in there. Am I? Are you go right for with it. Me no, if fine. I go for it there, um, I guess because I did really suffer so hugely from depression, and this last eleven months has just been enlightening, for want of a better word, um, in terms of how stopping alcohol has made me feel less depressed and how, even though I thought I was different to everybody else and that alcohol was helping me not to feel depressed, that is what the problem was. Alcohol, nothing else. So I put myself at a huge risk because I got to the point where I was very severely clinically depressed, where I was having to take medication to deal with it. I was suicidal and it was because of alcohol because it all got better when I stopped drinking. And what I will say, because this is something that came up at the sober social group we went to, we spoke to a lady there who was three months sober, I think, Vic, wasn't she? And she was saying that she doesn't really feel as good as she thought she would. And at three months, I still felt depressed. I can actually remember saying to you on the phone once, Vic, I I just feel sad all the time. Mm -hmm. But as I went further into my sobriety, probably around the six-month mark, that's when my depression lessened and it has pretty much gone now and I'm hardly medicated at all and won't be at all soon. So I can't tell you how big the mental risk is. Um, A a lot of people do commit suicide because they're so depressed because of their alcohol intake. Um, I think I was going to mention anxiety. I might leave that one for you, Vic, because I did experience anxiety, but you had that really badly with drinking, didn't you? Yeah, I always used to get, you know, those giggly hangovers dried up in my early 20s. Mm. You know, those ones that would sort of be soaked up by, a, you know, a fry up on a yes, Sunday. I watch my kids with them now. Yeah, but now, but then it changed when I had kids. It started to get worse and worse. We've spoken about this, but yeah, I suffered severe anxiety after every time I drank. So I was putting myself at risk every time I drank because I knew the next day what was going to happen to me. I did feel suicidal in those moments. Moments. The fear would last all day, drip over into Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then by Thursday, I was like waving a tenner in the air at the barman, you know, for mm-hmm. happy hour. It was a really, really horrible pattern of anxiety. When I was younger and I had anxiety in my early 20s, it caused agoraphobia. I wasn't able to go out because I felt such severe anxiety, all caused by alcohol and depression because obviously I couldn't go out. It caused me to feel depression. and But I always used alcohol as my crutch, so I didn't mm. know a way out of it. So that just shows you I knew... I knew that alcohol was making me mentally unwell, but still I continued because it was applauded by, you know, everyone cheers you on when you're a good drinker, Mm. social drinker like Mm. I was. So I just couldn't stop, even though the risk was so high. And also, I suppose it gives you this um, a, a very, very short, if you're feeling that bad, it's making you feel that depressed and anxious, even in between the periods when you're hungover, it does give you a short lived high. And you're yeah. so, you're feeling so down that anything, even like yeah. a 20 minute high is worth it. It drowns the anxiety out, of course. So mm. then you're stuck in this vicious circle of drinking to get away from the anxiety and then you know, sitting out as it 
the anxiety comes and then drinking again to get mm. rid of it. It's just a vicious cycle. cycle yeah, it's yeah. horrible. And you talk about not wanting to leave the house. Again, I still have that problem which came from drinking. You know, didn't want to leave the house for a number of reasons because you're worried about who you've seen and you don't remember and how you embarrass yourself. You just don't want to see anyone. You can't hold a conversation. You just hate yourself. You don't want to be out in public. No. Um, loss of social skills. You actually lose the ability to socialise naturally when you drink. Um, and that's a real problem for you mentally because being social is such an important part of having a healthy healthy life um, if we're not out and meeting people and talking to people and conversing and we're not doing that when we're drinking yeah. that much well we are doing it but we're doing it drunk we're not doing it when we're clear-headed and that takes a long time to get used to doesn't it, it when does. you get sober it's like well you used to be this one person that was really sociable and you know really friendly on the outside even though you were having anxiety the next day but then when you become sober you have to do those exactly the same things when you're sober. You have to relearn it. You have to relearn who you are in those situations. But the fact is, it's better because you're being yourself and you're not putting yourself at risk. But it is something that puts you off wanting to get sober, isn't yes, it? Yes, absolutely. I don't know how to go out and socialise sober. 11 months in, I still struggle. But so, you're great, though, when you go out. Like, you wouldn't notice that you were nervous or anything. You just seem really natural. And the fact is you don't walk away in shame. You don't walk away with your yeah. head hanging low. You don't have fear. You don't have a panic attack afterwards. Mm. You just go, oh, that was a bit awkward. Yeah. Uh, and that's the end of but it. But I I'm did have it. a cup of tea. I did and you've it. done it. Yeah. 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 And there's none of this that we're talking about. There's none of this severe anxiety, depression, agoraphobia when you go out and sober socially socially yeah. sober yeah. you know what I mean I do know what you mean and then you leave and you I mean we talk about how like we still leave places and think oh god did I say the right thing or did I not I think that's just a normal thing that a lot of yeah, us do yeah it's just a little bit of a head fuck yeah it's, not like, it's nothing really I'm gonna like think about suicide because yeah. that's that's the difference yeah it's I mean, the difference yeah. yeah and I mean I've put here that it's brain boggling to think about drinking I mean that's what we're talking about now aren't we yeah we're t- talking about like you feel the anxiety the depression when shall I have a drink that thinking about drinking it takes for me looking back I felt like it took over about 80% of my brain for about 24 7 mm-hmm. you know it was just constant and it was just driving me mentally insane Um, and I honestly thought that I was unable to cope without alcohol so therefore you have a feeling of dependency and it's horrible being dependent on anything Mm. it's a very uh, it makes you feel trapped you can't live your life freely if you're dependent on something to get by Um, and that's a horrible feeling mentally so a huge amount of mental risks um, there but they you know and some of them and I will say from experience that it can get so bad Mm. Um, that if you are in a place where you are, you know, just feeling that the only thing that makes you happy in life is alcohol, yeah. please, please, please reach for help. It's funny, all of these things that we've talked about, the promiscuity, I mean, there is so much risk in, you know, that how that ends up. You know, the mm. end line of that is death. The same as mental risk, the same as physical risk. Yes. These are situations, they're not light-hearted situations. No, like I know me and Lucy talk very light-heartedly about alcohol, but these are all risky situations that could end in you not being here anymore, mm. which is very, very sad. We want you to be here. Yeah, we do. We I want mean, you to be safe and happy. And I mean, we are here, that. Yeah. but there are a lot of people that aren't because yeah, they, it hasn't turned out as well. I mean, all I can say is I'm extremely lucky. Both of us are very lucky very to be lucky. sitting here telling you. I just <laughs> hope we can get out. Of this booth because it's getting a bit hot isn't it are you hot it is really hot yeah, it's quite yeah. hot yeah. I think Alan might have locked us in I haven't <laughs> yeah. seen him for a while no I haven't either um, the other thing we're going to talk about very quickly is other risks mm. going, that we haven't included in those three biggies um, are there other ways drinking alcohol has put you at risk over the years Lucy aside from pure promiscuity 
injury and mental health. Mm, yeah, absolutely there is. Uh, criminal record. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, you know, it's, again, it's not a, not a funny thing in the slightest getting a criminal record. It can affect your life in massive proportions in terms of um, if you want to emigrate, if you want to buy a property. Um, so many things. Um, it might seem funny at the time. It might seem a good story to tell. Criminal record is not cool. It's a big risk for your life and for those around you. Yeah, so we talk about that one a lot because it comes up as... Um, long-term repercussions from short-term decisions. Yeah. So a silly decision why you make when you're drunk that might seem funny at the time can end up going on for the rest of your life. I mean, mm. I'm sure there's lots of people in prison all over yes. the world that have made stupid Definitely, choices yeah. in those situations and now that's what's happened to yeah, them. I'm yeah, I'm sure. And can you imagine being in prison because you've done something really awful Whilst you were drunk. while you were drunk? Yeah. I, I can it, it imagine happened. it because yes, I could I have can, done it. Yeah. 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 Um, the other risk that I've got is, um, you know, if you're not careful as a mum, if you're drinking too much, you can get your kids taken away from you. Yeah. Uh, when I, uh, many years ago, when my kids were young, um, I would go to the school pick up drunk. And someone actually mentioned to me, you need to be careful because social services will get called. Yeah. Uh, I will tell you that um, the walk to the school from my house was about a four minute walk and there were two pubs on the way. Right. So it was a bit of a classic for people to stop in there and have a drink before pick up. But of course, me being me couldn't stop at one. I'd have to have more. Um, And someone actually had a quiet word with me. Be careful. Um, Yeah, and not only that, um, if you're looking after your kids and you're drunk, imagine something awful happened to one of them. Oh, awful. And you just weren't keeping an eye on them because you were too busy filling up your glass with a a red wine. The risk of other people. Yes, and what about your poor kids? Um, Of course, there's the the, the risk of drink driving as well. I mean, um, it's it's a shameful, shameful story. But once I lost my car, I, um, I was out. I'd been at work. I'd been drinking. After work, I did actually work in a bar and um, I don't even remember getting in my car. Oh, that's awful, I actually it? did. I wasn't a, a drink driver as such. I, I'm not going to. I did do it at times. But this night, I don't even remember thinking, shall I, sh- shall I or shan't I? I got in the car, woke up the next morning at home. Gosh. Looked out the window, no car. Couldn't no, I, remember where it was. I had no idea where it was. It took me and my friend three hours to find it. Wow. Three hours to find it. I had no idea. We found it outside a, a restaurant, sort of, which was not really anywhere that I thought I'd been and nowhere it was busy, sort of in the middle of nowhere kind of thing. That's no recollection. I mean, the chance of me crashing the car that night, oh, killing awful. myself, killing other people, the shame of it is yeah. just so massive. What a huge risk. Um, and there's also that risk of just drinking yourself to death. Yeah, that's Which, always the risk. Yeah, I mean, I know, Vic, you actually have got, um, you had uh, your ex-boyfriend died of... Um, yes, some, recently. Uh, yeah, yeah, of some, possibly from... Well, just a, a life of, yeah, yeah, a life of drinking and, yeah, just it wasn't a sustainable lifestyle, yeah, so... People lot, do do it, People do they? it, yeah, people die of, you know, I just watched um, uh, Louis Theroux's recent documentary, Drinking to Oblivion. If you haven't seen it, you know, oh, always guaranteed not. a good, mm. insightful doco with Louis... Um, yeah, so watch that. That's very normal people. You know, we call this normal social drinking, but these are people who mm. have been normal social drinkers whose drinking has got out of control. Yes. You know, they always start off as starts. a normal social drinker, but they end up in a in a liver hospital mm. in Germany. It's a really fascinating documentary because we use this word resonate that me and Lucy hate so much. But like, <laughs> We've overused I it. resonated hugely with it because I could see myself in those people, yeah. even though I wasn't that far down the line. Luckily, 
you know, I could see myself. And I will just very quickly say on the end of that one for me, that risk of drinking yourself to death, and it just links into a, the mental risk. I can remember being so depressed that I made the decision, Vic, to drink myself to death Oh, once. yeah. I remember and, you and telling I, me that before. It makes me, my heart yeah. hurts. Well, I, didn't, when you say I that. didn't want to be alive. The only thing that gave me pleasure was alcohol. Mm. So it just seemed like in my really weird state of mind that that was the way to just drink my, keep drinking, keep drinking until I die. Oh. Um, and a lot of people do that because yeah. they, they, that's all they want you to can't, do is to drink. You can't feel hope in that situation because no. you, you feel so trapped in your own patterns. There's no other way out. Yeah. And, and you're well creating going. Yeah, and you just, it's just like, what do I do? What do you, mm. you can't get out of it. It can't get out of it, but you can get out of it. That's what we're mm. here to say. You can get out of it and you can reach out for help. Some of the other ones are risk losing jobs. I mean, you have go to work with hangovers. You risk losing your career. Mm. I once snogged a married man at the Christmas party and got in trouble for that at work. You risk losing friends. Yes. Um, family. Yeah, family. Having people to look after you when you're drunk is really annoying. People get bored of that. Yeah. Um, you risk losing relationships, spacing relationships as well with people that you've met in bars. Bad choices leading to bad relationships. I've mm. been in many, many relationships that should have ended on that one night stand. Yes. Where, and they've carried on just because I have no idea because I felt that was the right thing to do because they showed me attention, ended up in all sorts of awful situations. Mm. And again, general risk of death. I mean, it sounds, it sounds, sounds far-fetched, but it's true. We're actually very glad to be here. Yeah, we are. <laughs> We're alive. We made it through. We'll probably go home and get run over by a bus. Oh, gosh, yeah. Well, at least we would have said what we needed to say. <laughs> at least we won't have the podcast horrors worried yeah, about yeah, what, yeah. We've, what we've said. But let's go on to the next topic, which is why did we both ignore the red flags? And we are talking massive, massive red flags here. Why Why did those things that were happening to you, all the things we've just spoken about, Vic, why did yeah. they not stop you drinking? It was just so ingrained inside me. I just could not see out of it. What would I do if I didn't drink? I mean, who was I? Mm. I just wasn't prepared to find out. I had no idea who I was without alcohol running through my bloodstream. Um, everyone wa- wanted my funny stories. I felt like I would never have funny stories. It's all to do with that people-pleasing thing again. I was in too deep. I just couldn't see a way out of it. What about you? Look, for me, I just think, well, it was an addiction. Yeah. When you've got an addiction and it doesn't have to be that massive full on thing that people, you know, that put you into rehab. Yeah. It can be more subtle. Yeah. It might be that you're a little bit uh, physically addicted to it, but also you're addicted to it as a habit. Um, And like we had in our chat last week, we sort of, I was talking to you about how I just felt so embarrassed to even leave the house because of my behaviour and you were like well isn't that just crazy that rather than think I'm going to stop drinking and go out you made the decision to not go out and to stay drinking that's what it was like for all of those years yeah it was like I'd rather take all of these risks and continue taking them even when I know I could end up dead yeah if I can carry on having a drink. And I think another reason why I ignored the red flags was similar to what you were just saying about having really unhealthy relationships. I was, um, I would be with guys who would allow my drinking. In fact, they quite liked it and they would encourage my drinking because they knew that I was a better person and it, to them a more fun person and an easier lay yeah. um, if I was drinking. So surrounding myself uh, by other big drinkers um, made me, you know, and, and hearing other people, you know, so I would have, fr- I've got friends who would be drinkers and 
They will phone me up and say, oh, God, oh, my God, you'll never guess what I just did. And that immediately makes you feel better. So you minimise in your head the risks you're taking because other people are taking them as well. It doesn't make them right. Yeah. What we're both saying here is basically it was our full personas was Mm. who we identified with were drinkers. So that is our entire personality. So how on earth could we see out of it? Mm. We couldn't. It was like if you took the alcohol away, you'd sort of melt down like a... Yeah. Like, like a, the like Wicked a... Witch of the West. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. With the monkeys flying in the background. <laughs> exactly. God, she used to terrify yeah, me. Yeah, that melty bit's horrible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so come on, Vic. I'm what's... melting. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm melting. That's it. I was just thinking, what was that screechy thing? Oh, I'm melting. Oh, really scary. Do you remember it? <laughs> it's probably what, we looked a little bit like that when we... That's the Wizard of Oz. You probably Wizard looked a bit like that when you set yourself on fire. <laughs> yeah, I'm melting. I'm melting. I'm burning. It's really funny. I'm really entertaining. Yeah, look at me. Look at me. I'm like, and... take a photo. The life and soul of the party's on fire. <laughs> <laughs> but look, let's look at sobriety now because we always like to end on a high. So what's, <laughs> yes, so what's changed in sobriety and how can our listeners learn from us? Well, oh. I think they will have already thought. Do you, re- <laughs> Do you really want to learn I from think us? We, I think we've terrified anyone who's listening into never having another I drink. hope so. That's the plan. <laughs> I simply don't knowingly put myself at risk anymore. I mean, that's the main thing. I just don't. I mean, we put ourselves at risk every day. You know, the saying is that you could get run over by a bus. Mm. You know, there are risks that go on in life, but... I try not to do it on purpose. And you make an educated decision. Like you went on holiday and you went up in an aeroplane, didn't you, with yeah. your family? And but before you risky. do that, you think about yeah. what is the risk of doing this. You, but you're, you're within your, your your faculties in place, so you can make the right decision. Absolutely. Um, the other thing is, uh, when you're sober, you mature a little bit. So I learned how to get down from the chandelier and grow up. So, you know, maturing is part of sobriety because you've been numbing yourself out for so many years. And and that means you don't put yourself at risk as much. And it also means you wear more linen. (laughs) I was trying to think, what are the other ways I've matured? Not many other ways. I just wear more linen. You do like your linen. I do don't like a bit you? of linen, yeah. Because you don't have to iron it as much. And I suppose you used to, you, you, you like quite light colours, don't you? So, I mean, you probably would get all red wine stains and that. Yeah. You can wear lighter coloured yeah, clothes. Yeah, I can wear lighter coloured clothes now <laughs> and not risk my my nice outfits. Um, yeah, so I don't abandon myself anymore. I did that every weekend. Sobriety allows the true me to shine out. Um, means you're leaning into the sunlight a little bit more. So that's lovely. That's nice. And also my marriage was a huge step in me not taking risks anymore. It meant I obviously didn't sleep around mm. and that I had someone who accepted me for me. And mm. for me, that was a huge part of me being able to stop drinking. Um, it doesn't work for everybody being in a relationship, but my husband was hugely supported and loved me for who I am without alcohol. Yeah. And I don't think I would have been able to stop if it wasn't for him. Yeah, I think that he played a huge part in you being able to give yeah. up. And we are going to talk about that in a podcast. We must make a note about it because yes. it's um, for people who are partnered, whether it can sometimes be really difficult to give up if they're still drinking. If yeah. you haven't got the full support of that other person, you were really lucky in that respect. Very, very lucky. He's just been yeah. so supportive, hasn't he? Yeah, and I always say, like, he stood shoulder to shoulder 
all the way through this with me. He's never judged me, never questioned me, and all he's done is hand hold my hand all the way through, which has been amazing. But he didn't judge you, judge you when you were drinking either, did he? I think he worried about me. Yes, but he never said so because you know it's that social drinking thing. You know, I was always the drunkest person in the room, but it was just so socially acceptable, and it was who I was that he probably didn't feel like mm. he was capable of saying you need to slow down. You wouldn't have listened anyway, would you? I wouldn't you? have listened. And he did try a few times and I just said, oh yeah, I'm just having a laugh or like, you go home if you want to. I just kind of fobbed it off. But yeah, that is really, that was really a huge step for me and, and that means I don't put myself at risk anymore because I wouldn't for him and I wouldn't for our children. Um, learning to like yourself, of course, we go on about that a lot. It means you care for yourself more. Um, and I know that cosy Sunday roasts are much better than notches on bedposts. Oh, that rhymes. Yes, I did well there. Oh, very clever. You and your words. Bringing out some rhymes. I've got very special words. (laughs) (laughs) You've got some good ones tonight. Uh, Look, for me, um, it's about the awareness that sobriety brings, which we talked about last week when we talked about all the wonderful things that come with sobriety and how precious our lives are. Why the hell would you do this to yourself? At the moment, we've got this problem happening over in Afghanistan. Well, not at the moment. It's been going on for years. But when when you watch the TV and see what's happening on the news, you just think... Look at how lucky we are. Yeah. You know, why am I going to throw away this lucky life I've got by drinking myself to death? Um, I've got two teenage girls, so I need to role model to them um, how I um, my relationship with alcohol. Um, and I'd hate for them to ever put themselves anywhere close to the kind of risks I put myself to. So Tom, sometimes that's the way to think about risks, isn't it? You think, well, why was I doing that? I wouldn't want to see anyone I love doing that. No. But of course, in that moment when you're drinking, you don't think properly about it. Um, And I think I am finally accepting who I am and liking that person. I haven't liked that person for so long. And a Mm -hmm. lot of that is due to the drink. I'm not trying to create that new persona um, with alcohol. And that's the thing that shows in you that we were talking about earlier, that you... I think the reason you're happy is because you do like yourself. Yeah. And that's, you know, that shows in you. Yeah. And yeah. when I look back, it was sort of 20 years of not liking myself. Yeah. And uh, I you can know. see in my eyes in photos from that time. Yes. I remember I showed you that photo of me with the, the shark eyes. Yes. Yeah. Hovering over a toilet somewhere. I was, yeah. It was in like my early 20s. And I said, look at my eyes. They were black. I'm not there. I'm not present. Mm. Mm. I'm totally out of my brain. And that is not a happy person. And mm. now I look Even if you're smiling. Even if I was smiling, I could see that the alcohol was... It was a false sense of, mm. of happiness. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I and I and I said to you last week about you know I feel that my smile well, actually feels different when I smile. There's yeah. something different about it now. You know, I just don't feel the need to get attention by being a complete and utter dickhead. Um, well, I still yes. do. But, I mean, we do these podcasts and make total fools of ourselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think we're going to make a living out of being dickheads soon. <laughs> we're doing really well. Marvelous at it. Um, yeah, and I, I just I don't want to be the clown who's had one too many and who ends mm. up on the front page of the newspaper. Which um, and I was thinking how lucky we are that in our big drinking days, social media wasn't really around. Oh, thank, thank God. God for that. Thank yeah. God. The only time I was in the newspaper when I lived in Brighton was a friend of mine was working for an advertising company and they needed someone to advertise genital wart cream. <laughs> so, of course, you were like, I'll 50 do quid, it. I'm in. <laughs> there was a photograph don't, of me. I don't want to know what the photograph was. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was of my face. With genital warts no, on it. No. I'd be like smiling with a thumbs up. <laughs> You see, and I mean, you must have been sober when you did that. We ha- we have recognised. I don't that. think I was sober. Oh, I maybe did that, no. I was, we were talking about how we recognise that 
we are just sharers and we don't have a filter on what we say, which is why this podcast works for <laughs> us. It wasn't the alcohol that did that. No, That's just no. what we're like. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, yeah. so I, I am so grateful that social media came um, after my really, really um, worst escapades because, yes. you know, pictures of you. Yeah, you couldn't get away with it. Awful. Awful. We got some tips. Hooray. Okay. Shall I start, You Vic? can start, yeah. Love yourself first. We'd often put aside our self-care in order to feel loved, make others happy, or just because we were so drunk, we had no idea what we were doing. Trading in your own safety for the approval of others is dangerous. Remember, you are important. You and your family all want you here and to be happy and safe. Those short-term risky decisions can lead to a lot of long-term problems. Things like STDs, Steve... injuries (laughs) injuries <laughs> and even death in a horrible accident woohoo god <laughs> you're cheering so, tonight yeah. <laughs> so think before you drink and consider the outcomes is it really worth it no no steve vic at sober mummy drunk mummy sober mummy.com message her um sleeping around when wasted won't give you anything but a nasty rash and a big dose of self-doubt and self-loathing instead meet people when you're in control start a loving coupling when you're at your sober best and have your first date over breakfast are you just giving me advice sir yes i am yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) there is more chance of a long-lasting romance if that person appreciates the real you rather than the one slamming shots at some dodgy bar. Find new ways of entertaining yourself, ways that don't involve you being in a dangerous blackout. Develop more wholesome pastimes away from bars and drugs and clubs. Go to places that are filled with people that care about you and do hobbies that don't involve you risking your life. It sounds simple, but... Just it try does, it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we did it for ages. I know, we did it for ages. Um, I know that alcohol is so ingrained in our culture and society that we often feel like we don't have a choice but to drink and to put ourselves at risk. But truthfully, we do have a choice. It's up to you to grab the bull by its bollocks and take responsibility. Be brave by reaching out for help or taking the first steps to stopping drinking. It's up to us to decide if we choose a life of risk or a life of sobriety. So be strong and take charge. And the last one is something I've mentioned before in another podcast was when I was in therapy considering my drinking habit and I wrote a list of all the risks I'd ever taken. Some of the ones that we've spoken about today were on that list. It was a very long list. It was two pages of A4 of all the things I regret and all the things I thought, gosh, I really got out of that with the skin of my teeth. Um, so do that make your list make your list of all of those things and then read it out to yourself and then you know put yourself in the position of someone else reading that list and what would you think and actually you'd think it was a complete mad person staring Mm -hmm. back at you and then write not okay next to it go through the list again write not okay and just realize that 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 is not who you are. That is not who you want to represent yeah. to others and to yourself. And, so, and, and know that if you carry on drinking, you're going to end up adding to that list. Do you yeah. really want to do that? No, you don't want to add to that list. Exactly. Run out of paper. Yeah, you run out of paper. Right. I didn't find a quote today, Lucy, because everything I looked Thank at... Thank God for that. I know. <laughs> but every quote was about taking risks and how you have to take oh, yeah. risks in life. So I was like, no, but that's not the message that we want to give. So yeah. Some parts of life are about taking risks, but alcohol yes. risks are not worth taking. Yeah, so we're not that's be my quote. I'm yeah. gonna make up my own Thank quote you for that. Um, the book of the week is by Jordan P. Barnes. 
He's a mate of mine on Instagram. He's amazing. He's written a book called One Hit Away. It's a, mem- a memoir of recovery. Jordan resides in beautiful Hawaii. He's been sober from all mind and mood altering substances since August the 29th, 2011. One Hit Away is his debut memoir. Brilliant. Thanks, Vic. And uh, we've just got a little note for our listeners. And I think it's important um, for for them to know that even though we laugh in this podcast and make light of our past crazy drunken behaviours, we don't want this to take away from how serious a normalisation of alcohol abuse is in our society. It has devastating effects on individuals, relationships and families. Lucy and I are both passionate about helping others that are struggling and hope... (laughs) Victoria and I. (laughs) Victoria? Who's Victoria? It's me, isn't it? That mad woman from Meetup. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, we're both passionate about helping others um, that are struggling. We really are. Yeah. (laughs) And hope that our humour and insight into the life of two ex-binge drinking party girls will give others hope and that everybody can live a full and happy life after alcohol. I'm sorry I made that mistake. Yeah. It is so bloody hot in this <laughs> booth. I am tempted to take my top off and sit here in my bra. Yeah. Would you be happy with that bit? Mm, I'm not sure I could cope. <laughs> I might just ravish you. Two sweaty old boobs too hanging sexy. out. Too sexy for me. <laughs> We've got to get out. Yeah, Thank you for listening. Yeah, we're a bit sweaty. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Sober Awkward podcast. If alcohol is affecting your life in a negative way, if you're struggling to moderate or your hangovers are causing anxiety, it might be time to reach out for help. Contact your local doctor, a therapist or connect with your local AA or sobriety group. Vic's got one. Yes, go onto Facebook and just search Drunk Mummy, Sober Mummy, the group. Lucy and I both agree that even though this journey can be awkward, it's definitely worth it. And if we can do it, you can too. For more support on sobriety, head to Vic's website, drunkmummysobermummy.com. And Lucy runs an online space to support and inspire single mums. Find out more at beanstockmums.com.au. Finally, if you've enjoyed the Sober Awkward podcast, don't forget to follow, subscribe, review and share it with your mates. Don't make it sound like they have to, though. No, they do have to. I'm not doing all this for nothing, Lucy. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving. At your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach. And see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com.